1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Inside Access with Chase and Lock on and Ken Wyman. Sponsored by Stevenson University Online. 105.7 The The
2: Fan. Justin is having a great year at this stage of his career, and to me it's a credit to him in so many ways, but it's a, it's a credit to him in the sense that he really worked hard. I mean, you know, as you get older, one thing I learned watching the Ed Reed's, Ray Lewis's, Terrell Suggs's, those guys, Haloti's, when you get a little bit older, you got to work that much harder, you know, just to stay the same, you know, just to be able to play, to stay healthy, and to be able to perform. And he did that. He really put the work in. He's in just probably I he might take the best shape of his career. I don't know, but he's in great shape. John Harbaugh
3: talking about Justin Houston, who had to – he had the bye this week, and Zedarius Smith and Nick Bosa each had sacks. So he is now third in the league in sacks. Matthew Judon leads with eleven and a half. Zedarius Smith and Nick Bosa tied at nine and a half. Justin Houston tied with Alex Highsmith at eight and a half. But I would stand to bet that he's had much fewer snaps than those other guys, Jason, and yet he's sitting there third in the league in snaps. Can he continue this pace as we come off the bye? Well, look, I don't think this is a total fluke now. I, 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 there's middle ground. Oh, and missed three games, I
4: should right, mention. Right, right. I was going to there's middle ground between double-digit sacks, three straight games coming off an injury, um, and what he looked like last year, which was still a productive pass rusher, but... You know, there's you're not you're not always going to finish the play with the sack, and there's a lot of variables that go into it. Um, But with the replenishment of edge players in general, and with Tyce Bowser being ready for a bigger role, and JPP and Oa slotted into probably roles that more fit where they are at their respective points of their career and you know development or lack thereof or whatever. And now with the Roquan Smith able to take some things off of other people's uh, plates, and now you've got Patrick Queen who might be able to be even more of a of uh, of a of a force rushing the pass. I, I don't think it's out of the question that Justin Houston, if he stays healthy and they can keep him on this sort of pitch count, I mean, could he 14, 16 sacks? I don't know. I don't know that it's out of the question. I no, I mean I... <laughs> when they give him some run and they really seem to be strategically deploying him, you know, in
5: certain series, he's
0: uh,
5: a house of fire. He's been dominant, and you look at his first two, he's had a sack in every single game. And, Ken, you said he missed three. You can essentially say four because he only played six snaps in the Patriots game. So that game aside, he's had at least one sack in every game that he started and finished. And you said he's tied for fourth in sacks in the NFL. And you you look at some of these offensive lines that the Ravens are going to play and sacks per games allowed. Bengals are 30th. Broncos are 28th. They play the Steelers twice. They're 25th. Atlanta's 23rd. So all of those teams are bottom 10 in sacks allowed. So I think it's very realistic that Justin Houston gets 14, 15 sacks. Well, the crazy thing is he's
3: easily get, unless, you know, knock on whatever this is, he gets hurt. Uh, Double digits seems like a certainty at this point as he sits with eight and a half with, what, nine games or eight eight games to go. Uh, but it, it really is when you think about the fact that he essentially missed four games, Jason, and here he is sitting here amongst the league leaders, it's remarkable because what do you have four sacks a year ago? Four and a half? Like like this this and we talked a lot about well, the analytics said he had a much better season than the stats yes. said and he was win rates, but this this is different this year.
4: No, it, it is, and as you know Bone was saying, I mean, some of these offensive lines, it's it's interesting, like Okay, so they play Carolina this week. Carolina sack percentage, they allow sack on 7.2% of dropbacks. So, um, you know, that's middle of the pack. If you look at the pressure percentage, though, they only allow, according to PFF, a pressure on 24.5%. They allow pressure 24.5% of the time, which is second best in the NFL. Now, you know what I mean? So it's like... There's different ways to get at this. Do I think it's a truly elite offensive line? I I I don't. Um Jacksonville's made some inroads and their sack rate is is top 4 in the league. So, you know, we'll see what that one brings, but obviously Denver has had their share of issues. Pittsburgh's offensive line, we've been talking about um I think it's gotten a little better pass protection wise. We'll see about run blocking. Um you know, Atlanta's not an elite offensive line. And he's hot. When he gets one, he tends to get another one, like, the same series. Like, maybe the next snap. Uh, So, yeah. Could this be a, a rebirth of sorts for him? And is he someone that we'll be talking about through Week 18 and into the playoffs as one of the faces of this franchise and one of... The more impactful players on this football team. I, I mean, Cordell and I did a six pack, or was it was it was it you? Six pack of most impactful Ravens.
5: Was that was us Cordell. on Thursday? I think was it was Cordell, Cordell on Friday? Because we did the six pack on Ken.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know, we <laughs> yeah. did a six pack of most impactful Ravens, and it was kind of interesting who made it and who didn't. But Justin Houston was in both of our top threes, and when you start talking about. Like money ball, right? Value per snap, Bang for buck. Yeah, like, come on.
5: Three and a half million. Absolutely. And we didn't have much expectation for this pass rush for what, the third, fourth year in a row. And now it's really rounding into form. And that's because of Justin Houston. And going a step further, guys, they're tied for eighth in the league in sacks. I mean, I think... They definitely will finish in the top ten, and given the poor offensive line that they're uh, going to play down the stretch, I mean, I, is top five a possibility?
3: Well, you think with the Jabo back at some point or here at some point, you can't say he's back because he's never been. And at some point, you got to think always going to get some sacks. Yeah, I think top five is a possibility. They're two it, sacks out of fourth. Yeah, they're like, yeah, that we go from a team that we thought, well, this team can't rush the passer. It is funny. You it, in, one, in one sense you say, well, you only get seventeen of these, and then you think about how long the season is. Because let, let's let's go back to like around week three, week four. Where we're like, well, this defense can't stop anybody. They can't get to the quarterback. Fourth quarter, they're sitting there, and, and quarterbacks have all day to throw. And now, Jason, we're here. Just weeks later, yeah. and it's like a, it's almost a completely different team. And to think they should, if we're going to take Mark, uh, take uh, John Harbaugh at his word, they're going to get Marcus Williams back at some point in December, which will help the back end. Yeah, look, everything is positioned for them on paper right
4: now to really make some hay, as particularly as a defense, I think. Because um, we still, don't, you know, Andrews and Edwards, and we, didn't, we know they don't really have receivers. And, yes, they found an identity on offense, but it's kind of back to the future. But, yeah, I think they have a chance defensively to start to look like the type of unit that we haven't seen around here for a long time, but that wants to find what Ravens football was. And we've got an inside linebacker now who looks like a Ravens inside linebacker. That's going to allow other people to lean into specific roles that suit them better. I mean, if Marcus Williams is a legitimate ball-hawking free safety, if they get him back the final three, four, whatever weeks of the season, that should bode well for them. And you're talking about having a cavalry or like an arsenal of pass rushers and and different sort of skill sets of of guys coming off the edge, which, you know, was once, I don't want to say take it for granted around here, but was kind of just... What they did, so yeah, I, I, it, it's hard not to be optimistic about it. They're going to have an opportunity, the way the schedule sets up, to make some hay. They just might, and then the playoffs are going to be a different challenge because they, they again, yeah. they just, it's been a minute since they faced the top quarterback who was really in peak form, and it's probably going to be a minute until they do so again.
5: No, the most points they've allowed in their last six games is twenty four, and. We say that the offense is getting back to 2019, and that, in turn, means the defense is as well. because They're if fresher. The Ra- exactly. Yeah. If the Ravens' offense is going to dominate time of possession, that means the Ravens' defense is going to be a heck of a lot
3: fresher, and they're going to give up less points, you would think. Uh, that'll coincide together. Huge Tuesday show. We get started guest wise. Dan Connolly covers the O's for the Athletic. It's Rule Five Day, but different than in years past, as the Orioles are probably trying to figure out their forty-man roster instead of poaching from other rosters. We'll talk to Dan Connolly covers the O's for the Athletic at two thirty. Great thing going on uh, in the city, Uh, Bubba Baseball. Andy Weltlinger, who is uh, uh, basically I guess the founder founder of Bubba Baseball, he'll be talking about that with us at 3 o'clock. Former running back of the Carolina Panthers, now on the Believe in Panthers podcast, Jonathan Stewart, joins at 4 o'clock. Rita Hubbard will be talking Ravens with her at 4.30. And Bradley and Nikki Bozeman make their return to the program. Of course, they're no longer with the Ravens, but the Panthers come to town. We talk to them at 5.00. Yeah, fun
4: show. A lot of football, a lot of baseball. Obviously, Adley finished runner-up last night, but that affects his service time, right? The Mm -hmm. Orioles lose a year of control on him, so a little more onus on getting him signed. We'll find out about Brandon Hyde and uh, any uh, awards for him. Tonight, as you said, GG, by the time we get off the air at 6 o'clock, the Orioles are going to have to set their 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft, and so will every other team in the league. What does that mean? Um, And, yeah, it's an interesting time, I think, with – both Baker Mayfield as the starter and Sam Darnold as the backup coming to town this weekend. The tw- I'm old enough to remember the 2018 class, oh, yeah. and boy, all the slander for Lamar and all the the kudos and
3: and excitement for some of these other. First-round quarterbacks. Hmm. Well, speaking of that, coming up next here on the program, we're going to take a look at that 2018 draft class of quarterbacks. And it ain't pretty. That's next here on The Fan.
0: Inside Access with Jason McCartney. Two are on
3: Twitter. And Ken is borderline creepy on the gram.
4: Good news, I found your Instagram. Did you see the 90 photos I liked in a row last night at 2 a.m.?
3: Inside Access, 105.7 The Fan.
2: I'm sure it helps him. You know, he's had history with us as well. So a lot of respect for Baker Mayfield. We've had some incredible battles, you know, with him when he was with the Browns. Uh, some great games. Uh, we know what he's capable of doing. Uh, we, I think we understand his strengths as a quarterback. We're going to have to do everything we can do to, to to stop those things.
3: I can remember, what was it, week, I guess, 17 of the 2018 season where the Browns and Ravens played a home game, and the Ravens won that game and won the division, got to the playoffs, crazy game. And Baker Mayfield was putting up numbers that I guess uh, no rookie quarterback had put up in a long time. and. I think he set the record for touchdown passes in a season by a rookie quarterback. Well, he was the first pick in the 2018 draft. Sam Darnold was the third pick. They're now both on the Carolina Oh, yeah, Panthers. they're both coming to town. Now, Josh Allen went seventh. Josh Rosen went tenth. Oh, yeah. And then there wasn't another quarterback taken until 32 hmm. when Lamar Jackson went to the Ravens after they traded up with the Eagles. But, Jason, this quarterback class did not go – if you would ask the Browns and the Jets and the and the Cardinals, who took a quarterback the very next year in Kyler Murray, this, this draft did not go as planned.
4: Well, you know, I think back and have been thinking back on a lot of my reporting and people I talked to leading up to that draft and coverage of that draft. And remember, when John Dorsey took Baker Mayfield first overall, that was a shocker. Like, people didn't see that coming. Baker had clearly – despite his size and some limitations, positioned himself to be a first-round quarterback. But the sort of consensus was, well, Sam Darnold might throw too many picks, but that's the that's the best pro-ready, plug-and-play, future franchise quarterback. And I was very close um, with some people in the Jets organization at that time. And they were shocked that Dorsey took Mayfield first overall. And... When that happened, they were just praying that nobody jumped them for Sam Darnold because they felt like that this is – our fortunes have changed. We're out of the woods. We're a completely different franchise. They weren't even – Lamar Jackson was never even in their Uh equation. Like, maybe if somehow we don't take one in the first round and he's there at the top of the second round, we'd think about it. But even then, probably not our guy. Right. The Rosen thing, I mean the uh yeah, the Rosen thing is telling because one year later they're trading him for like a third round yeah. pick to go get Kyler Murray. That hadn't worked out either. Interesting. Though they paid him. Oh yeah. Roquan Smith, eighth overall in that draft. So um, you know, the Ravens still have two first round picks from that draft. Obviously, Hayden Hurst, their first pick, has long moved on. And then you have Lamar at thirty-two, and, and really the 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 team you had to sweat there a little bit at the time was New England at 31, yeah. who I know Josh McDaniels in particular really liked Lamar Jackson, believed that if you coach this kid the right way, you're going to win a bleep load of football games with him. Um, Bill Belichick decided that, you know, Sonny Michelle was going to be maybe the running back they needed to get them over the top, and it's still Tom Brady, an MVP form, and yeah. let's give Tommy a running game and try to win one, one more of these Um that's how it played out. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are clearly the bells of that ball. But, Bone, it is very interesting to me to be having this conversation now at a time when Lamar Jackson has been winning football games by not trying to prove he's the best football player on the field. and Josh Allen's been, lose, frankly, losing football games for his team by doing exactly that, by doing too much. Yep. Those
5: were the two most criticized, sketchy prospects yes. of that draft, yes, right? Yes, they were. Or Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming, uh, small school, and he was extremely inaccurate, more <laughs> inaccurate than Lamar yep. Jackson was at Louisville. And a lot of people question whether Lamar could last in the NFL, given his play style. And give credit to Ozzie Newsom. The only reason why Lamar Jackson isn't playing on the franchise tag right now is because they traded back into the first round to get that fifth-year option. But this was seen as a massive quarterback class, like you said. And Baker being number one is kind of the most intriguing case of, like, Kind of what could have been. You you mentioned the rookie year where he was great. mm. Then the second year, bad. Third year, takes him to the playoffs. Wins a playoff game. the brakes off the Steelers. And then last year with the torn rotator cuff on the non-throwing shoulder, I thought he would do well in Carolina it just hasn't panned out and now he just seems destined to be a career backup yeah
3: I I was dead wrong on Baker Mayfield I loved him coming out of Oklahoma I just thought he had moxie and I I I, I, he's got plenty of that yeah but it's now that overshadows everything else uh he he looks a mess and
4: he's he's still a better pitch man than he is oh, yeah, quarterback much like better. the Nissan Heisman now that he's even a backup oh, right has yeah. got the one with Barry said yeah. like he's
5: he's really good he's really yeah. good
4: he's he's excellent um it's kind of interesting to play the game of like okay so what where like where would Lamar have gone like if the ravens don't make that move right like the browns picked at 33 they and and 35 they weren't taking either of those picks no. they already took baker mayfield you know, could could he have ended up with the Giants, yeah, right? 34. A year later, the the Giants are doing the Daniel Jones yeah. thing, right? Like you wonder if thirty four could the
3: Colts have taken him at thirty six? They've been and twenty eighteen. Andrew Luck was still there, wasn't uh, he? Yeah, that was his last year, and nobody knew he was retiring. No, yeah, so no. That. And I, they had back to back picks yeah. at thirty
5: six, thirty seven. Yeah, I think a lot of it though. And Jason, you know a heck of a lot more than me and Kent. How many of the thirty two teams would have committed to this? Because what the right. Ravens did is, right. they changed their entire offense. They went all in on Lamar Jackson, and that's a big reason why they've been so successful with him. I don't think many teams would have done what the Ravens had done. No,
4: no. I mean, they 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 and were, Harbaugh did they them a fly. Have.
0: Well, remember yeah. Flacco yeah. did. The, the, oh like,
4: yeah,
5: that team was going
3: nowhere. Four
4: and five, nowhere.
3: Couldn't run the ball. Couldn't pass the ball. No. Lamar takes over, and they have one of the best running games in football. Hey, we'll get back to this a little bit later. But coming up next, it's Rule 5 day, which used to be the biggest day of the offseason for the (laughs) Orioles. Not this year, but at free agency. How active will the Orioles be in free agency? And could an extension for Adley Rutschman be coming in his future? We'll ask Dan Connolly. Covers the Oats for the Athletic next here on The Fan. Inside Access on The Fan and Tim sit in the bleachers
2: hey, bada, 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 bada.
3: Ken sits in his brother's seats behind home plate Inside Access 105.7 The Fan If you wanna be my lover You gotta
0: get with my friends Make it last forever Friendship
3: Yes, yeah, songs with the word lover in them, yeah. because Tim thinks it's appropriate Tim's to call his significant other lover. Uh, anyhow, it is Rule 5 day in Major League Baseball, which used to be the highlight of the offseason for the Baltimore Orioles. We're assuming this year not so much, but let's go out to the Ashley Furniture guest hotline where we're joined by Dan Conley, covers the O's uh, for the Athletic. And Dan, good afternoon. Thank you as always for joining us. and am, am I right to assume that uh, Rule 5 will not be the highlight of this offseason? We're expecting a little different from the Orioles
0: this year well this is protection for rule five and that's important because the greatest pitcher in the history of the majors Grayson Rodriguez <laughs> has to be added to the 40-man roster so it is kind of a big deal because the Orioles have 34 spots right now and they have to they will add between four and six players I believe um, to protect them from the 40-man and if they don't add Grayson Rodriguez well, then everyone's going to go down to to the warehouse and tar and feather Mike Elias. Yes. So it's an important decision, Ken. (laughs) Well,
5: well, Dan, who are some of the fringe guys that might be
0: added? Well, I mean, I I think the four, in my opinion, obviously Rodriguez is a no-brainer. And I think that the other three that are most likely are Joey Ortiz, Mm -hmm. Drew Rahm, and Seth Johnson. And I think they're all in a sense, kind of fringe because they're not household names necessarily. They're not the guys that everyone knows about. Um, but I think that all three of those guys, it would be a surprise if they did not make the 40-man. Uh, the uh, Johnson's a guy who's intriguing because he had uh, Tommy John surgery in August, which means he won't be ready until next August, which means you're pretty much wasting a roster spot for him if you try to claim him from the Orioles. But this is a guy that the Orioles, you know, took took in the uh, Trey Mancini deal from Tampa Bay. And I wouldn't think they're going to grab him, you know, in, in August and then potentially let him go in December. So my guess is Johnson, who's a former first-round pick, is going to be there. Ortiz is a guy, you know, if you pay attention to Orioles' system, he is a guy that is kind of – I don't want to say necessarily he's under the radar. He's a fourth-round pick. But really people are waiting for his – for his bat to blossom because his defense is there, and it is it blossomed last year, it really did. He had a tremendous 26 games or so at AAA. He's knocking on the door. I think he's a guy that a team would, you know, would take a chance on to put him utility and see what they have. So, I would imagine the Orioles keep him around. And then, Drew Roms, the other guy, um, has just kind of climbed the ladder, he's a lefty, he's only 22 years old, seems like he's been in the system forever. So, I would think they're going to hold on to him as well, you know, protect him. And then the two guys that that are more are Noah DeNoyer mm-hmm. and uh, Maverick Hanley. I'm not sure either one gets put on, but DeNoyer had a pretty good little run uh, this year at the Arizona Fall yep. League, and Hanley's a backup catcher. He's only 24, who's, who's good defensively. So six possible, I would say four, maybe five. The
4: uh, The Rays are in a crunch in regards to this, as they always tend to be because they're such right. a deep organization. And I've seen some reporting about maybe them non-tendering Mejia or maybe Mejia being available. I, that intrigues me as a mm-hmm. as him as the number two to Adley. Does that wet your whistle? I mean,
0: potentially. You know, if if they don't protect him, um, or they try I mean, they can't take him off the forty man roster. And I believe he did make his his debut, right?
4: Well, they, but they're talking about maybe non-tendering him
0: yeah okay well i mean if they, if they non tender him, I didn't think he had that that kind of uh um, service time, but he's definitely a guy that that you know any team would be interested in, and so if you know if he's available, teams will be looking at it. I just don't think the Orioles would probably put you know w- would kind of be in the right line, if you will mm-hmm. for for a guy like him. Um, I'm checking him he does have enough service time. So he, uh, he has 4.062. I thought he was probably in the three range. So he's definitely a guy, if he is non-tender, I, I would imagine the Orioles would, would you know, be intrigued in that, but I think there's other teams that would be intrigued for him as a, uh, as a starting pitcher. Right. And my guess is he would, he would gravitate Lean to more that. towards yeah. that. I mean, he's a pretty young guy. Um, he obviously was really well thought of in, in, you know, when he first came up. And so uh, he's only, he's 27 years old, so he's still what you would think in, in, his, uh, in his prime.
5: We're speaking to Dan Conley, who covers the O's for the athletic. And Dan, diving deeper in the free agency, you put out a piece recently for the website about the O's needing to get two legit starters. Who are possible free agent targets that you would like to see them pursue?
0: You know, it's interesting because they have, I mean, there are a lot of free agents out there right now that I think could fit for the Orioles. And I think there are guys. Chris Bassett is one that, mm-hmm. that intrigues me. Um, he was with New York Mets before that was the Oakland A's. He, I think he's a really good pitcher. You know, he got hit in the head a couple of years ago uh, and kind of took him out of, of a Cy Young possibility. And then last year pitched pretty well for the Mets. Uh, you know, Taiwan Walker is a guy that, that everyone's kind of thrown their name around. Um, and And the thing that's kind of intriguing to me is, I think that the Orioles would would go after guys who, who have been offered the QO this year. Um, I do not think that they're worried about giving up a, a third-round pick at this point. I think they feel like their system is where it is to, to the fact that you know they could give up a, a third-rounder, which would be the highest they would have to, for somebody who is attached to a QO. And so I think there's a lot of possibilities out there. I don't see the Orioles going after... A, you know, a Verlander or Mm -hmm. a uh, uh, DeGrom, simply because I don't think they win that bidding war. And I'm not so convinced that either one of those guys will truly be free agents anyway. But I I do think that there are some guys, I mean, there's been a lot of names that have been bouncing around to me, that I think that, you know, are possibilities. I think Dior is going to kind of open it up and, and see what happens. But for me personally, Bassett is intriguing.
3: Dan uh, Adley Rutschman loses a year of service time, finishing second in the Rookie of the Year uh, award y- yesterday. We've seen all these young players: Julio Rodriguez, Atlanta, with a bunch of guys signing guys to early right. extensions. Do you think that's a priority this off season for the Orioles?
0: Well, it should be. I mean, it's early. You know, the, the, the guy's twenty-four years old. This is—you know—he's only had one year in the majors. Now it is considered a full year in the majors, but. I mean, he is the leader of this team. He is the backbone of this team. And I think it sends a tremendous message to the younger players that, hey, we're building around Adley. We want you to be part of this. We're starting it with Adley. And I I don't, you know, I do not think, from what I've been told from the people that I've talked to, I think Adley enjoys it here and wants to make a winner of this team. And so I think that there would be interest on his end. I think that the guys who who represent him have shown in the past, um, you know, some interest in listening to that possibility if it works. And I think the fact that he is a catcher and they only have him for five more years, there's always a concern about catchers and health. I think this is a, you know, a fit. And I think this is something that Mike Elias has to really look at. And I believe losing him, you know, and, and him being a free agent after 2027 I think it is, is, should be incentive enough to really make a firm deal. Now, the Orioles in the past haven't really done that, especially with younger players. But again, this is not Peter Angelos. This is John Angelos. We'll see what happens. The question is always going to come to my mind on how much money do they have right now and will they put a lot of money into the future considering that you know, they don't know what their future is going to be. Uh,
4: Dan, you mentioned uh, uh, Bassett as as a potential pitcher to um, pursue what about in terms of bats are you buying them going five six seven eight years to get an elite shortstop in here do you think it's more a corner outfielder and if so is that like a peterson a conforto something like that
0: i mean honestly i think the best fit is a first baseman dh I think a Josh Bell, a uh, maybe even a Jose Abreu. I know he's 35 years old. I think that's where it fits best for the Orioles, unless they indeed are doing something with Anthony Santander. Maybe if they can find a, a good partner for Hayes. Mm-hmm. But I, to me, and, and Peterson's a guy who certainly is intriguing. I mean, he's got you know he's got to be on um, their radar. I don't think that Jack Peterson is coming here. So I would go after guys that can play first and DH and maybe spell Ryan Mountcastle a little bit, maybe take a little pressure off Ryan Mountcastle a little bit um, because I look at all the other positions. Second base is the only other one that I see that I really would like to replace, you know, mm-hmm. considering there's maybe a hole there, but there's not a lot of guys on the market that look like, you know, real upgrades in second base. Short stuff's Interesting. You could move Mateo over to second base if you really wanted to, Um, But I don't necessarily see them spending that kind of money for a Correa, for a Turner, for a Bogarts. Um, So, and and I'm not really sure, you know, going for for a lesser guy, a Segura, makes sense when you have Mateo there and, you know, you want to see what you Mm -hmm. have at second base. I think everyone wants to see these Orioles get into the playoffs and really make noise next year in 2023. But I think it is still a bit of a filling out period, guys, where you kind of want to see – these young guys develop.
5: Dan, I asked you about free agent pitchers that the Orioles might pursue, but what about the trade route and Jason's been banging the Pablo Lopez drum for a or while or give me now. one of the brewer starters. <laughs> Dan, uh, do you see them maybe being aggressive on that front to bring in a pitcher?
0: I do. And I, I do partially because, you know, Mike Elias doesn't give us many clues. And we we we're like terror readers here, <laughs> trying to figure out exactly which way he's gonna go on different things, but he has said several times uh, in the last two or three months that they're going to be trying to acquire pitching, trying to acquire you know better the team, whether it is the free agent or the trade route. And I think he's more comfortable with the trade route. For one, there's depth there. You know, it's something that I, I mean, Ken, Jason, I mean, all of us. I, you know, when was the last time we said there was depth? <laughs> yeah, the Orioles, right? So there is depth there, and you know, I, I feel like they could package. Anthony Santander, and maybe a pitcher or two. I mean, a prospect or two to get a pitcher. Um, they have some excess middle infielders prospect-wise that they could deal. They have some excess outfielders who have not really made the majors yet, but you know, a lot of teams are, are interested in. I think the tricky thing with the Marlins is they have two guys in the corner outfield, in Garcia and Soler who have you know, decent-sized contracts right now and did not play particularly well yeah. last year. And so there's a possibility that you might have to take one of those guys if you're going to do a deal with the, uh, with the Marlins, especially if you're going to be giving them a younger outfielder, a guy like uh, you know, Santander or somebody even below that perhaps, as far as you know, service time is concerned. Um, I like what the Marlins have, man. If you look through that rotation and yep. even go into the minor leagues, um, they have a lot of really young, controllable guys. And you know you, you mentioned Lopez, and he's obviously someone that people are salivating over. But I mean, there's Cabrera there. There's Rogers who fell into the minors this year, um, but was I think number two in Rookie of the Year yep. in the National League last year. Uh, and he's a guy who is intriguing. Uh, Jesus Lazardo is there, and he's obviously intrigued. They have a lot of really live arms who seem ready to pop or close to being able to to pitch in a you know in a rotation in the major league for you know a, a full season. So. I think the Marlins are a great match, and it just comes down Down to exactly what they want and how much the Orioles are willing to give as far as prospects are concerned.
3: Dan Conley covers the O's for the Athletic. Dan, great as always, man. Thanks so much for your time.
0: You got it, guys. Thank
3: you. Appreciate it. Hey, coming up next, we recap yesterday's Rookie of the Year announcement. Adley Rutschman finishes second. What does that mean to the Orioles? We'll tell you next here on The Fan.
0: Inside Access on The Fan.
1: Totally, 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 Radley. Inside access to all things, Adley. The 2
5: 0 <laughs> to rushman is smoked out to right. You can forget about this baseball.
3: You're home for demos. All
5: oh, I hear some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine.
3: 1057, the fan man. That rhymes. Rookie of the Year announced last night, and as expected, Julio Rodriguez won the award. He got 29 of the 30 first-place votes, one second-place vote. Uh, Adley Rochman finished second, got one first-place vote from uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith in Toronto. 18 second-place votes, nine third-place votes, 68 points overall, finishing second. Two people left him off the ballot. Hmm. Tom Withers, well, out of the top three. Yes. Uh, Tom Withers in Cleveland and Vahe Gregorian in Kansas City. Both Baltimore writers had him second.
4: Look, I, I, I think there was certainly a case to be made that he was uh the rookie of the year. And if you look at, you know, F war and different sort of analytics, you, you can draw you can reach a point where he and Julio are really close. I don't have any issue with Julio winning it. He played a premium defensive position. He did it at a younger age than Adley. He started the season in the majors, whereas Adley came in later, and he was for long stretches of the season, the best player on a playoff team. Mm-hmm. So, but for Adley, like, what well, I mean, if somebody's leaning into Jeremy Pena over him, and again, this is done in the regular season, not the postseason, or Bobby Witt, or I really don't know who else, like, it'd be hard to have paid any attention to the American League in the second half of the season and not seen that Adley Rutchman wasn't just arguably the best rookie in Major League Baseball, but like, He might have been one of the 10, 12 best
5: players in the American League. Yeah, and Ben Nicholson-Smith, he put out a thread on Twitter to kind of explain why he was the only writer to give him a first-place vote and saying that he played a more... Uh, demanding defensively demanding position then Julio and basically how he fundamentally transformed this Orioles team where they were sixteen and twenty four before he got brought up, sixty seven <laughs> and fifty five after. You mentioned the F war, same exact uh yeah, five point three mm-hmm. as Julio.
3: I, I I think you give the nod to Julio, but
5: maybe it's closer than people
3: really if I had a vote I would have voted Julio first, Adley second. Uh like I think to, to I'm not mad that other people's left, let, left him off because those guys wouldn't have, like, if those guys voting him in the top three would have gotten him first place, then I might be angry about it, but he still would have been in second place without it. It still doesn't take away the fact he had an excellent season, and as we talked to Dan Conley a, sec, uh, a segment ago, they should be talking extension with his people, if not now, like, very soon.
4: Yeah, I mean, that would be the number one organizational goal. I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you gave Michael I's truth serum and he really had to he had to say, look, above and beyond all else, if there's one thing you could accomplish between now and the start of the regular season in terms of your your franchise moving forward, what would it be? I, it would be getting, getting Adley Rutschman signed and starting to buy up at least some of his free agent years. That, that, there's no doubt in my mind that that would be number one. You know, will it happen? Can it happen? Um, remains to be seen. But I am interested to see what the backup catcher situation looks like next next mm-hmm. season. Um, how many games Adley catches versus DHs. Uh, they were, you know, we, we there were many times this year where they're in the thick of it and we're kind of like, where's that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so they seem to err on the side of caution in terms of, Rest in sort of, you know, easing him into this. But when your best player and your best hitter is your catcher, mm-hmm. you probably, I mean, I, I don't know what a good number is for next year, but like 120-something? He's only going to be 25 once. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I wonder how the math computes and whether being able to work with an Adley helps them in regards to recruiting some people. You know, or as we were talking to Dan Connolly, and I was asking about, you know, uh, Mejia with, with the Rays. Like, would somebody like that be willing to come here? It sounds like they want to skew younger than certainly where they were last year with yeah. Um and that they want to upgrade there from really probably across the board, defense and offense. Adley can play some first base if they end up going with a corner outfielder as a bat and not an Abreu type. Does Adley get in the mix there a little bit? Because if you're a backup catcher, you know you're okay with. Like, there's just a lot of different ways that they could go about this. Um, and they did draft another catcher in 2019, yeah. Maverick Hanley out of Stanford was also a top 10 pick, uh, great we kid. We, yeah, yeah, had a had a breakthrough offensive year at AA. A. Um, would be slated next year. They'd probably want to give him a full year, triple-A catchers, usually, unless you're a 1-1 freak of nature, take a long time to develop. I wonder if they consider Maverick Hanley protecting him in the Rule 5 draft because long-term, he might be the perfect number two to Adley, but are they willing to to sort of, I won't say burn, but use a 40-man roster spot on a guy who projects for them to be a triple-A guy who somebody else might say on a rebuilding team, Hey, we'll carry him on our roster as a backup catcher this year. He won't have to hit that much. He'll play once a week, and maybe he'll
5: turn into something for us. Well, I ask you this. If they do go that route, they probably are just getting a one-year stopgap guy this year until
3: Hanley's ready, Yeah, I mean, unless they lose Maverick Hanley, yeah. It's one of the many uh, intriguing storylines of what is finally an intriguing offseason for the Baltimore Orioles. Coming up next, something intriguing is going on in the inner city, and it's something that we wanted to uh, shine a light on so people know about it. Bubba Baseball in the inner city. The founder of Bubba Bubba Baseball, Andrew Weltlinger, joins us
1: next here on The Fan. Inside access. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.